Thank you for downloading the Kol Hadash podcast. This is episode 34, originally recorded live on January 6, 2012. In this episode, Rabbi Shalom presents a review of 2011, looking over the past year, as well as offering some predictions for 2012. For more information about Kol Hadash and humanistic Judaism, please visit our website at kolhadash.com. It's said that everyone has their 15 minutes of fame. Some have less than that. Some, unfortunately, have more than that. But sometimes they're just a name that flashes by. And at the time we know that name, we know why they're known. And then time goes by and they begin to fade and after a while they're memorialized on a website and an old newspaper clipping. We may not know why we ever knew that name. It may ring a very faint bell very far in the background. Well, I always like to begin our year in review by sharing a few names that were in the news in the past year and seeing if you can remember why you know that name. Where did that come from? Who was that anyways? The first name is Mohammed Bouazizi. I will give you a hint. It was, that's right, it's the vendor in Tunisia who, because of uh, having to pay bribes, he couldn't pay, set himself on fire and ultimately lit a flame that uh, created what we today call the Arab Spring. Ginger White. Ginger White. She, she claimed to have an affair with a former presidential candidate, Herman King. That was Ginger White. Ali Abdullah Saleh. Yep. Yes, the president of Yemen who keeps saying, oh, I'm going, I'm going, and then he doesn't go. You know, that's the joke about Jewish house guests. Some people leave, some people leave without saying goodbye, and we say goodbye and never go. Jared Loftner. Right, the shooter in Tucson, last January. Gabriel Giffords and several others as well. Wendy Dang Murdoch. Wife. She, I mean, she's 43 and he's 80, it's okay. <laughs> it's, yes, it's his wife, who actually first came to public attention this year when someone tried to hit him with a cream pie at a testimony and she decked it. But evidently, she had some Twitter issues in recent weeks. And, you know, that brings to mind that scandal of the phone hacking and the, the news of the world, that newspaper that they closed in England was 168 years old. That paper had been around. This is an easy one. Pippa Middleton. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the sister of Kate Middleton became the queen. Pippa's known informally as Her Royal Hotness. Her what? Her Royal Hotness. <laughs> George Papandreou. Yes, the former Greek Prime Minister who had to leave when the uh, currency was melting down. I saw a contest. If Greece was forced to leave the Euro, what would they rename their currency? It used to be the drachma. One suggestion was call it the mellow drachma. <laughs> <laughs> Anders Bering Breivik. Yes, the, uh, the shooter and terrorist in uh, Norway that had the, that awful attack on a youth camp. Terrible. Saul, Saul Perlmutter. Oh, no, well, this is 
Nobel you know, Prize winning physicist, that's right, who is the son of Sarasota that's right, and grew up in a secular Jewish school in Philadelphia. So we have connections with him, theoretically. <laughs> That's right. Last one, also pretty easy. Chris Humphreys. Yes, the ex-husband ex of Kim Kardashian. Although not yet, I think they're still filing paperwork, but yes. You see, the, the pop culture ones seem to stick <laughs> for some reason. Did you know that in 2011, the United Nations declared the year to be the International Year of Forests. I didn't know that. <laughs> it also declared it the International Year of Chemistry. Not a good job promoting those things, but at least it was, and in retrospect we'll know that 2011 was the year of chemistry. The things you learn looking back at the year just concluded, who knew? You can find lots of lists of who died, but there isn't a good list of who was born, because we don't know who was important that was born this year. We'll find out a long time from now. You could find out who won and who lost major sporting events, which seemed very, very important at the time, but as time goes on, perhaps less important. There was the usual catalog of bombs and natural disasters. There was a massive flood in Australia. There was an earthquake in New Zealand, tornadoes in the United States, massive flooding on the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. There were celebrity marriages and divorces trials of the century, everything from Casey Anthony to Anthony Weiner. Places you've never heard of. I'd never heard of Zuccotti Park. I'd never heard of Abbottabad, Pakistan. And there were some things you could see coming. Last year, in January, I talked a little bit about what I saw happening in politics over the coming year. I said I see no progress in Congress or in the government because in that last January, there was a debate on the repeal of Obamacare. And Mike Pence, who at the time was a presidential candidate, said, we will vote to repeal Obamacare again and again until we consign their government takeover to the ashes of history where it belongs. Welcome to the 112th Congress. Well, guess what? It's been the same for a long, long time. Noise, 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 or in the words of Shakespeare, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. We had the battle over the debt ceiling. We had the battle over appointment confirmations. We had the super committee, which proved to be not so super. We have campaign gridlock in full flank. So unfortunately, no surprises sometimes. But 2011 was definitely a year of surprises. I mean, that shooting in Tucson at the beginning of the year was a shock. A shock. We had the Arab Spring. The most astute analysts had no idea that this could happen. They had no idea that it could happen on such a scale. First Tunisia, but then Egypt, and Mubarak fell, and Libya, and Gaddafi fell, ultimately, and Yemen, and well, Saleh will someday fall, but he's in and he's out, and protests in Bahrain that were crushed, and protests in Syria that are still going on and on. Who could have guessed? Who could have guessed that the United States would almost default on its obligations? That the credit rating of the United States bonds would be downgraded? And the crisis in European debt took many by surprise, particularly John Corzine, I think, was not seeing that one coming. You had the swap for Gilad Shalit. I was surprised he was still alive, because he had been taken prisoner five years before. And I was amazed that they made the deal, and the deal they made, the deal was a thousand to one. 
both the proportion of prisoners released and the odds that it would come to pass. And it did. You had those amazing battles over union rights and collective bargaining with state governments. Republican governors in Wisconsin and Ohio and Indiana, you have fugitive lawmakers hiding out at undisclosed locations but still surfacing for media interviews. The state police going out to find you. I mean, these public protests that occupy the state house for days and for weeks. All these ballot initiatives to overturn the legislature within a few months of them passing a law. Recall efforts, historic numbers of recall efforts. I mean, the number of governors recalled, the number of state representatives and senators recalled has almost doubled from all of American legislative history into the last few months. The head of the International Monetary Fund is arrested for rape in New York City as he's about to board a plane. We had a populist movement that started and swept the country in 2010 called the Tea Party. Were we really expecting another populist movement called Occupy Wall Street to appear and sweep the country again? Or the equally media manufactured small groups of people in strategic locations that get a lot of attention? Well, you can see it both ways. But that just started in September again already. Now, unfortunately, we don't see earthquakes coming. And we're trying to work on seeing tsunamis come. And we've done our best to engineer nuclear disasters out of existence. When you have an earthquake that's 9.0, and a tsunami that wipes out a coastal town, and then a nuclear meltdown on top of that in an area of Japan called Fukushima, you have an epic, epic disaster. In a recent issue of National Geographic, a photographer not quite legally, went back to look at one of the villages that's been abandoned. And it's abandoned. And there are wild animals running around, and you have to go there in radiation suits. Occasionally, the residents get to go back for an hour to try and find their stuff. But it's a ghost town there. And in Japan, tremendously safety-conscious, building to earthquake codes to tremendous degrees. What a surprise. Did we need more child sexual abuse scandals? Did we? Yes. Not just the Boy Scouts now. It's not just the Catholic Church. College football programs, college basketball programs, and state? Joe Paterno? Who would have guessed that there would be popular protests against Vladimir Putin in Russia that he couldn't put down? Now, the last time he ran, there were protests led by chess champions and other famous figures, and there were a hundred people, and half of them got arrested. But now tens of thousands of people demanding recalls, demanding revotes on rigged elections? Who would have guessed it? Did any of you know that Osama bin Laden was living in a large mansion in Pakistan near a military base? I didn't. The Pakistani intelligence agency claims they didn't. But ultimately, we did. We did. And you have a decent TV? We had a decent TV and an extensive video collection, I understand. Would you have believed that Donald Trump would be a presidential candidate? No comment. Now, last January, I made some predictions. What may happen in the coming year? I said I was going to make bold predictions because I don't lose anything if I'm wrong. And I don't win anything if I'm right, so I might as well take a guess. 
I made three predictions. One was that gay marriage, the issue would make it to the Supreme Court. And it wasn't clear whether states' rights would win, because in this case, states' rights would argue that states can decide when you can marry, they can decide who you can marry in terms of cousins, and theoretically they can decide who you can marry in terms of gender. I was wrong on the timeline. That did not make it to the Supreme Court in the last year. It may yet happen this year. But we did see progress on that front, the end of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the exclusion policy in the military. Uh, the administration chose not to defend the Defense of Marriage Act, which is working its way through the courts. And in Illinois, the prospect of civil unions developed to provide some legal safety guards for those in, in that position. Second prediction was that Palestine would make it onto the map. What would its borders be? Would they be contested? What would happen with Gaza? Would there be Palestinian elections? Well, I wasn't right on that. There is no Palestine on the map yet. But in May, there was a reconciliation agreement with Hamas. It still hasn't been consummated yet. They haven't fully worked it out. It's a little bit like the old Jewish wedding where you have the ketubah when the kids were eight, and then you'd actually have the wedding when they were 13, 14, 15. Well, they made a deal in May, but they still haven't worked it all out yet. But they may work it out in the coming months. Hamas, at least rhetorically, has taken the position of now we're focusing on popular nonviolent resistance, reserving all options. We'll see if they mean it. But we'll also see what happens with the State of Israel's response to that, because there is an application pending in the Security Council. It was submitted in September. And so they want a state. And now they've asked the UN for a state. And you may recall Israel got a state from the UN. And Palestine is now a member of UNESCO, the United Nations Economic, Social, and Cultural Organization. It cost UNESCO 20% of its budget because of the um, United States pulling out of UNESCO because of congressional uh, and legal uh, obligations. Laws that were passed and signed demanded the U.S. do so, and they did. It cost UNESCO millions of dollars. But Palestine is now a member, and it also enables them to do other things, perhaps the International Criminal Court, perhaps other initiatives to push Israel. We'll see. The third prediction was that success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. As the economy recovers, both sides will try to claim credit. I was optimistic the economy would recover a little bit more than it has now, but things seem to be turning up in the last few months. We'll see if they turn down again. You never know. But here we are, there's some minimally better economic news. But you'd have to be a fool to predict an election 11 months away. It's just like, you know, there are plenty of fools on television who are doing exactly that. So what can I predict for 2012? Well, I make the same joke every year, that in humanistic Judaism, we are a non-profit. We don't believe in absolute prophecy. But at the same time, it's worth taking a guess, wondering, imagining, seeing what will happen. Now, on one front, I'm pretty confident in this prediction. U.S. troops have pulled out of Iraq, even though there are thousands of contractors, and our largest embassy in the world is still there. And troops will begin to pull out of Afghanistan as well. There's talks about a peace discussions with the Taliban and some neutral location in Oman or somewhere else. We'll see if that bears fruit or not. But even if Afghanistan descends into chaos, even if Iraq with all of the sectarian division that's going on right now, as we speak, descends into chaos, the U.S. troops will not go back. 
I do not predict that this country will have the stamina, the tolerance, the will, or the desire to send troops back into Iraq when they've come out. At this point, I think the perspective will be more like Libya. We support you over there, on the cheap, at a distance. Limited cost to us in treasure, even more limited cost to us in blood. I just don't see us going back. John Kerry in 2004 said, you break it, you bought it. Well, we've returned it. Second issue that will come up, and I'm not always of this perspective, but in this case, the more numbers I see, the more nervous I get. Our debt will become an important issue because it will begin to have impacts on the way financial transactions take place. It's more important and less appreciated. People don't want to talk about the debt. People do that at home, too. They don't want to talk about the credit card balance. They don't want to talk about the mortgage. But it's real. I mean, if you look at our annual deficit levels, they're approaching European levels of what percent of GDP our deficit is. Now, there's a difference between a deficit hawk and a deficit peacock. Okay. A deficit hawk really cares about solving the deficit problem and the debt problem. A deficit peacock makes a lot of noise about that, but only wants things for show. And so that could be everything from uh, claiming to cut out waste, fraud, and abuse, again, in some department. It could be talking about trimming the rate of expansion of something without necessarily looking at the program. It could be talking about massive cuts in everything except for the most important things to me. You know, no cuts in entitlement, no cuts in defense spending, no cuts in anything that, oh, foreign aid, we can cut the heck out of that. <coughs> Represents less than 1% of the budget. It's not going to get you anything. So we have to split the deficit hawks from the deficit peacocks and really look at a serious issue. When you look at a family that's beyond its means, generally you try to do two things. You cut expenses and you try and bring in more money. That's how it works. But the election is going to overshadow everything. It's hyped as an Armageddon election, the most important election until the next election, which will become the most important election ever. But something's got a gift to make a deal. And sometimes I'm a, a, a radical optimist. I hope against hope that wiser heads will prevail. And you, you have seen the beginnings of stirrings of maybe something on entitlements, maybe some movement on tax revenues. Maybe, maybe. Not this year. But maybe lame duck sessions. Maybe in between. We'll see. And the big story for next year, of course, will be the presidential campaign. And we'll suck up all the oxygen for any news that's out there. You will be sick of it. You will be sick of it. You may already be sick of it. But you, you will be unable to escape it. It will be bumper stickers and lawn signs and noise and interviews and TV and ads and ads and ads and ads and ads. Well, the question is, Will Barack Obama be Jimmy Carter or Bill Clinton? Will he be a one-term Democratic president or a two-term Democratic president? Maybe he won't be Carter or Clinton, he'll be Harry Truman, who runs against Congress as much as against his own opponent. And that's a good strategy if you can pull it off because Congress's approval ratings are in, are in the day. Now, who's his opponent going to be? It's not going to be Herman Cain, even though that would have been fine. 
It's not going to be Donald Trump, even though that would have been really fun. It's not going to be Michelle Bachman. It's probably not going to be Rick Perry or John Huntsman. I don't see them getting anywhere. It's unlikely that it's going to be Ron Paul. And given his lack of uh, infrastructure and funding, I'm not so sure Santorum is going to be able to do as well as he hopes. That leaves Gingrich and Romney. But honestly, I'm not sure that either one would beat Obama if the economy is continuing its improvement. If things are moving up, you can say we're on the right path, we're moving forward. Presidential approval ratings track the employment rate. They track the growth of the economy. It's, it's the economy, stupid, they used to say. It still is. It could be the case that this is the highest level of unemployment we have ever seen for a successful re-election campaign. It may not work, but it may. And after all, as we've seen this year, surprises always happen. So I'm curious for your thoughts on either the year that just passed, was there something I missed that we absolutely should talk about? Is there something you think will happen in the coming year? Or do you think my predictions are crazy and I should get my head out of the sand and start really looking with open eyes? But with Iran, well, Iran. You know, again, you could uh, if I if I could tell you the real answer, I wouldn't be here. Um, but I, Iran is very interesting. I read recently that uh, Japan and uh, China are cutting back, or Russia and China are cutting back on their oil imports from uh, Iran because now it's not just the oil that they're having trouble getting; it's the refinement capacity to turn into gasoline, and um, so. If China and Russia stop buying Iranian oil, that really is going to put the squeeze on their economy in a way that they can't ignore anymore. Um, Ahmadinejad is actually in a somewhat difficult position because we may not read about it here, but he's mired in a banking scandal where cronies of his have been caught absconding with lots of money, um, and so he's not in, in that comfortable of waters anyways. Um, and they've been making bluster about trying to close the Straits of Iran and um, and uh, blockading uh, the, the passage of oil. The U.S., I think, 7th Fleet is there. It's not going to happen. If it happened, it would happen for an hour, and then we would blow them out of the way, basically. Um, so it would not seriously interrupt the flow of oil, um, but it would lead to a rise of tensions. And the biggest issue with Iran is what's happening next door in Iraq, because you have three factions in Iraq. You have the Shiites, who are Arab, so they're not Persian Shiites, like in Iran, but they have a similar approach to religion. There are the Sunni Arabs in Iraq who are ethnically Arab, like the Shiite Arabs, but they are a different flavor of Islam. And then there are the Kurds who are not Arab, but are Sunni. And so you could slice that cake lots of different ways. You could have Arabs versus the Kurds. It's like when you have three kids, right? It's always two against one. And the alliances change, but it's always two against one. So. You could have the Arabs against the Kurds. So you have Shiites and Sunnis against the Kurds. You could have the Sunnis against the Shiites. So it's the Kurds and the uh, uh, and the Sunni Arabs against the Shiites. You could move it around. But in the end, it's a very unstable situation. And Iran has not proven to be a stabilizing influence in that part of the world. Now, what might be most interesting for Iran, what could put it in a positive direction from the U.S. perspective, is first of all, if Bashar al-Assad falls in Syria, he's part of a minority Shiite sect there. And if the Sunni majority gets to decide things, they would cut off ties with Iran, which would also cut off a route of communications and supplies of Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon, which is also a destabilizing Shiite force there. So that could have positive impacts. Um, 
and if Ahmadinejad uh, goes, uh, that could have a positive impact. And uh, if they finally give up on their mad quest for nuclear power, which they claim is peaceful, but when you have that much oil, do you really need nuclear power? Um, it may not be uh, successful in the long run. And the last option, it's not speaking literally the nuclear option, but it's the nuclear option, um, and you've seen a bit of it lately, is uh, Israel and the United States getting directly involved and intervening in Iran to stop the development of this program. You've had assassination of scientists, you've had computer viruses loose to nuclear plants, and most recently you've had random explosions on missile bases, and random explosions of development. Hmm, I wonder how that accident just happened to happen exactly there. Well, there's a bit of that going on too. So they're trying to delay it. In the end, Iran may get the bomb. And then the question becomes, is it going to be a stable, mutually assured destruction dynamic like you had between the US and Russia during the Cold War? Or will it be a belligerence and an end of times Armageddon approach that leaves billions of people dead? No. That one, unfortunately, we, we don't know enough that it's scary not to know enough. And North Korea? Ah. Oh, that one's, that one's no one, I'm not even going to hazard a guess on that. Uh, my guess is, I mean, my guess is, <laughs> if I had to guess, if I had to guess on North Korea, um, I don't know, we'll have to see who Kim Jong-un is. When uh, King Abdullah in Jordan, the, the famous King Abdullah, not the current one, um, when he, uh, King Hussein, I'm sorry, uh, when King Hussein took over in Jordan, he was a very young man, and they didn't know if he would last. And he made it through decades of assassination attempts and instability and everything else, and he became a great statesman and uh, wonderfully successful as a monarch. We'll have to see. I have no prospects of that society liberalizing, opening its doors. The question is whether it's going to collapse. And uh, that one that remains to be seen. I mean, there's, there's three possibilities. If Kim Jong-un proves to be successful and it continues the way it has been, if Kim Jong-un fails and the military takes over, becomes a junta, and then things go on more or less the same way, becomes instead of one god, you have a pantheon of gods. In fact, Christopher Hitchens had a wonderful line. He said, for all those people who want to live in a society ruled by an all-knowing, all-powerful, generous ruler, they should move to North Korea. That's what they say here. Um, and then the third option, is that King Jong-un uh, Jong fails and the society falls apart and refugees flood north into China and south into South Korea. Now, what's most likely among those three? My guess is A or C. Uh, either Jong-un pulls it out or things fall apart and things fall apart. But I don't want to guess. <laughs>